Listening to Battle Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston, and today I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest in the mall, BFD. How are you doing today, man? Woo! Go horns! Hook 'em, baby! Woo! Yeah. So is Texas back? I I kind of think so. Uh, I'm I'm still not. You know, I like Sam Ellinger. He's fine. He he's like Tim Tebow a lot and that's not my favorite kind of quarterback at the college level but you know he's he's pretty decent and he's willing to push the ball downfield and we've talked about it for years that you know that's one of the most important characteristics of a good quarterback is just the willingness to take a shot down the field and he's one to do that so um i think we're kind of back the defense if, if the defense wasn't so young and they are young i, I think we i'd feel a lot better but mm-hmm. they are fast they hit man they they're gonna be solid next year and the year after yeah well hopefully some texas team beats a team from louisiana this weekend because uh, doesn't seem like the houston texans are going to so did you know that Houston? did you know that judavion Clowney would be very helpful and very important to help the texans win this football game you, you know i i gotta say i'm old enough to remember a couple of years ago when we had this we had this tackle on our team, you might remember him. His name was Dwayne Brown, and he was a pretty good football player. And we traded him to the Seahawks, similar situation, for a bag of magic beans. And uh, that hasn't turned out so well as of yet, and I don't think it's going to. And uh, mostly it almost got uh, Deshaun Watson killed. So instead of hearing, oh, we don't really need a left tackle, now we're hearing – we really don't need a defensive end that can get to the quarterback other than J.J. Watt. So it's kind of been eerily similar. Yeah, like having a Pro Bowl player isn't that important uh, because we had to pay him guaranteed money. And like, I was thinking about the Brown trade too because the Brown trade led to Tyus Howard, Max Sharp being drafted. Another one can play tackle at all right now. It led to all the sacks last year. It led to all the, all the sacks the year before that. It also led to... Uh, two first-round picks and a second-round pick being traded as well for Laramie Tunsil. And so, like, the entire Dwayne Brown thing is just, like, amazing ramifications it's had you know, from from that point on uh, for this team, like how, how mangled the offensive line's been, also all the draft capital that they've invested in the position and lost to invest in the position, too. Yeah, and, and, and everything's got a cost, right? Nothing, nothing sits in a vacuum. Everything's got a cost, whether that's a true cost, a draft capital, or an opportunity cost or whatever. And and you summed it up nicely, and I'd like to write – I really want to write a, a post on this. But when you think about what we have paid for our offensive line since Bill O'Brien came on board, what we've lost, we've lost Brandon Brooks. We've lost uh, Dwayne Brown, two guys who are still playing very, very good football today. Ben we Jones, lost those two guys. Derek ben Newton. Jones. Yeah, well, Derek Newton was injury, though. But yeah, he still if, got if lost, you look though. At, yeah, but if you look at the guys who, who we've gone out and kind of – traded for as far as our draft capital or as far as because you know they got uppity tagged then it's we have paid a tremendous price i mean look larry mctunsell was just to trade for him was two first round picks and a second round pick mm-hmm. but we traded Dwayne brown for almost nothing which is kind of part of all that a third, the first a third round, and a second third and second which turned into martinez rankin and lonnie johnson yeah and then um we're not going to get anything for the Rankin pick now. So there's a, there's an opportunity cost, a third round pick gone now. So we talk about what we have paid. Oh, and we drafted Titus Howard in the first round. We drafted Mac Sharping in the second round. We have put a tremendous amount of, of draft capital into an offensive line that basically consists of Tunsil and Zach Fulton, who we signed as a free agent. And the mm-hmm. rest of it's a crapshoot. And they signed Jeff Allen too. They drafted Nick Martin in the second round. They paid Senio Calamente. They drafted Julian Davenport. I think he was a fourth round pick, um, and then you know the Sufio thing didn't work out as well too. But they spent a second round pick on him, so they have invested a lot into the offensive line. They just haven't gotten any results, and which is also like you know, saying this is absurd too that Mike Devlin's been here the entire time, and there's been like no talk of him being fired or anything changing there. 
He said every opportunity he's had all these different guys come through the th- through the program, the team, and that they have invested in the offensive line, but it's been, you know, one of the worst offensive lines since I guess since two thousand fifteen was the year they had Brian Hoyer, and that was the year the TJ Yates came in. That was like the last year they had a good offensive line with Brand Brooks. But from sixteen on, it's just been an atrocity. Yeah, and and I, I that's been one of the most perplexing things about this whole Bill O'Brien shenanigans and his his long con is that how is how are they not being questioned about the poor job that's being done with the offensive line? It's not only that. It's not only that we can't develop anybody on the offensive line. It's not only that letting Brandon Brooks go in place of Jeff, Jeff Allen and trading away Tony Brown because we didn't want to pay him. Um, and the free agents we were signing, Jeff Allen, are terrible, turn out to be terrible when they play for the Texans. And, you know, I, Allen went downhill pretty quickly after his stint with the Chiefs anyway. But yeah. there's – we aren't developing guys. We're drafting guys that aren't turning out. We're spending second, third, fourth round draft picks on guys who aren't developing. And you look at the offensive line now, and the, the big thing to me that really underscores this entire problem is, is the constant desire for versatility. So instead of saying, okay, Julian Davenport, you're going to play left tackle, and you know whomever, or Titus Howard, you're going to play left tackle, and you're going to play right guard, and you're going to play these dadgum positions all of spring, you know, training camp, and then instead, it's just like, okay, wake up, get out the dice. We're going to play Yahtzee with where our guys line up on the offensive line. And that's yeah. not a way to develop an offensive line. And so we're there's no grand strategy. And you see it overwhelmingly for the entire scope of the Texans, but there's no grand strategy for the offensive line either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like even really hard to go from playing the left side to the right side. Like It's just weird. It's just like your body is like meant to be on one side or the other unless you're you know, some freak athlete can kind of come in and figure out both ends. Uh, which is kind of required if you're going to be like a swing tackle or whatever. But yeah, like for like a starting player to have all summer and all training camp and a change in like the way that they have has been uh, fairly unbelievable. And also like you got love the Tyus Howard pick too because right away Bill O'Brien goes, oh, we love his versatility. He can play left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle. It's like, why? He doesn't need to. Just pick one, develop him there, let him go from there. And also I, my favorite thing about the Larry Tunsil trade is that Tunsil played left guard for his rookie year. He's another versatile offensive lineman, so if they do need him to play guard, he can swing down and, and move in there and go ahead and start, too, which would just be like the funniest thing ever. Maybe something happens to Howard, and they move him to left guard and put uh, Khalil at left tackle, because that would be like you know, a very Houston th- Texans thing to do. And you say that about Tunsil, and yet the very first thought I had, well, and it wasn't the very first thought, but it was, it was way up there. It was a very quick thought. Is Oh, my gosh. Tunsil played guard his rookie year. Are they going to mess around with that? Are going to they swap him and Howard out at guard and tackle? <laughs> that was like one of my very first thoughts because that is something that Bill O'Brien would do and something Art Devlin would do because they're doing it right now. Yeah. Uh, well, we haven't talked in a while. I, this has been a really good conversation, but the main reason why we're talking is to talk <laughs> about the Texans playing the New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football. So to start off here, going back to Clowney, um, the Texans' defense last year, whenever they had pressure, they had DVOA negative 76.3%. They allowed 3.4 yards per play. Without pressure, they had DVOA of 40.9%, and they allowed 7.9 yards per play. Houston's pressure rate was only 29%, which is 20th. They only had 43 sacks last year, which is kind of middle of the pack. Uh, Clowney had 9 sacks, 11 quarterback hits. And this is, the quarterback hits numbers from Football Outsiders, I think Pro Football Reference has something along the lines of like 22 or so, and he had 35 uh, quarterback pressures. So now without Clan, Clowney here, uh, is there any chance at all that they can even get to Drew Brees in this game? Because this defense is built on you know getting pressure and then just kind of playing zone coverage and holding on behind that. Yeah, and and that's a problem. And let's let's talk about how the impact that Clowney has or had last year on getting to the quarterback. Cause we basically, we only have two guys who can get to the quarterback consistently in 2018. That was Clowney and Watt. Now here's the thing though, is that JJ Watt always picked the worst matchup. So if the right tackle was the weak link, that's where JJ Watt lined up. Like Chad if Wheeler the right... uh, of the New York giants or uh, yep. Corey Robinson of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yep. Always the weak link, which meant that Clowney was always taking on, the best offensive lineman the other team had. Mostly he was just taking the other side. So he's taking the other defensive end position on, in the sub packages. So JJ Watt had it easy, relatively speaking, last year. And then even when you have Clowney and Watt out there, you have to account a double team for both, both of those guys because you didn't have to for the interior guys. That's how Christian Covington got three sacks in a game. He just got three trash sacks. Yeah. So 
you have to have guys who are consistently generating pressure. Whitney Merciless does not win one-on-one matchups like Clowney does. And you certainly don't have to devote a second resource to Merciless on a one-on-one like you do with Clowney. So now you have more guys that can go out into uh, into the routes. You can, you have one more guy you can send out into a route now. Instead of having a double team for Quad, instead of having and, and Clowney, now you can send another running back out into a route and another tight end out into the route. So this is a big, big domino effect of losing Clowney is we're going to have to cover one more guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And like Merciless can, Merciless is just going to line up as a five technique now uh, and rush against right tackles. And like, I'm sure he can have a season where he has like, you know, 30 pressures, eight sacks, and uh, 20 quarterback hits, or whatever, which is fine. But it's not the same level of production as far as like who he takes on compared to Clowney. And also, the other important thing about Clowney, too, is that he was the sole source of the Texans' interior pass rush with him just like, you're drunk and stumbling in front of the ball before it snapped and then uh, moving at the snap and like busting through the line of scrimmage or his dive bomb blitzes from the interior. Like, that's all that they had because DJ Reader can't rush the passer. Angel Blackson can't rush the passer. Joel Heath, who they recently cut, can't rush the passer. Brandon Dunn can't rush the passer. Carlos Watkins can't rush the passer. I don't think Charles Omenehu can rush the passer at the professional level. And so they don't even have like a... Brandon Scarlett's never been able to rush the passer. So they don't have like a, a third option, a fourth option, or anything on the interior at all whatsoever. And then about Clowney too, it's like, it's good to have more than two pass rushers. Like it's good to have three pass rushers and four pass rushers. And the more you have is a better thing to have. And uh, and so like, yeah, with like Clowney, they could play them at the three technique more. I think they're going to have to move a lot more inside based on what they have this year too. And we'll see if they even do that at all either. But what do you think they're... Houston's going to probably play a lot of nickel against New Orleans. Who do you think their front four is going to be in these situations primarily? I think it's, we're going to see a lot of, I mean, for sure, we're going to see a lot of Watt, Reader, and um, Merciless on that front four. I think the kind of the wild card is, is how devoted they're going to be to Angela Blackson being also in that scheme, being up front, because it seemed like they were perfectly, uh, uh, Cornell was perfectly okay with having a Blackson or a Dunn or yeah. a Watkins up there as well. Instead of, you know, we don't have Duke EGO for this year. He's hurt. He's He's out for the year. Jacob Martins he needs to see a lot of snaps. He's the only other legit pass rusher on the entire roster. He's the only guy who's got kind of a uh, who's got film that says, "Hey, he can dip and hit the edge and get to the quarterback." Nobody else on the roster can say that. So we need him. He needs to get a lot of snaps. I just don't see it happening because of that distrust that that both uh, Cornell and O'Brien have about playing younger guys. Even though he's a second year guy, he had five sacks last year for the Seahawks. Yeah, I don't even have. I- well, Martin, I guess, even played enough snaps last year to have um, any of his numbers, I guess, from the Football Tires Almanac to even have listed here. So I don't, I don't know much at all about him. I haven't had a chance to watch him play yet. Uh, but yeah, I forgot they also have Barcavius Mingo, who has, who Clowney had just about the same amount of pass rushing production last season as Mingo's had his entire career. And he's bad too. So yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to get to Drew, uh, Drew Brees all this game. And also, the other side about that too is their offensive line. This is composed of Taron Armstead, who's 28 years old, Andrews P, who's 26 years old, Aaron McCoy is a rookie from Texas A&M, who's the second-round pick they trade up for, Larry Warford is 28 years old, Ryan Ramchek is 25 years old, the right tackle. And so over the last three years, they've been in the top five, both pressure rate, just a sack rate, and sacks allowed. And I don't I don't really see a matchup at all here to exploit. You're also talking about a Saints passing offense where Drew Brees gets the ball pretty quickly, has a good job of uh, maneuvering on the pocket too. So like, is there a matchup at all here that you see, can see Houston exploiting? Like, do you like love like the idea of uh, you know Watt versus you know Warford or something like that? What are you kind of seeing here as far as pass rushing matchups go? I don't see anything. I think what they're going to do is they're going to make sure Watt's got two bodies on him at all times, uh, and that's how at this point you can't shut him down like that. Watt cannot beat double teams like you used to. Um, he's he's I think he's thirty this year. I think he's hit the yeah, magic he thirty, 30 uh, this year mark. Mm-hmm. So you know that's that we've seen that kind of that speed factor is almost going to be gone from Watts' game. He's going to a game. He's going to really need to rely on the spin move or the, the swim moves and and those sorts of things in order to create more pressure. But those don't work as good. Aren't going to work as good. He's got two bodies going up against him. Yeah. Um, but so I I don't. There's not a matchup there. And the other thing you mentioned that Drew Brees is is a wizard getting the ball out quickly, and he's just you just don't hit him very often because. He helps. So he's like the anti-Deshaun Watson, right? He doesn't hold on the ball forever. He gets the ball out. He does mm-hmm. not want to get hit. 
Yeah, I I think sacks too is is primarily a quarterback uh, quarterback statistic in a lot of ways because you see the same thing where you have like Tom Savage takes X amount of sacks per game, Watson comes in takes X amount. There's a the quarterback has a a very big influence on the sacks you know allowed in a season. But I think pressure rate has more to do with the offensive line though. And I, yeah, I don't see any matchups here at all. Like, and I think too with Clowney, I mean with Watt. Watts can probably rush against, I would guess, Ramchek um, at the right side. Like, remember they played New Orleans four years ago. Zach Streif was the right tackle, and he had a really great great game against them that game they won. They don't have a matchup like that this year at all. And they'll just slide their protection over towards Watt. They'll take away the inside move completely from him, and he's going to have to bend and rip over and over and over again. And that's something that he was able to do against, you know, not even, uh, against like Raven Clark against Indy, right. but it's not something I can see him be able to do consistently against Ryan Ramchek, who's one of the best right tackles in football. And then you're so you have everything sliding right. You have to worry about the interior, and then you'll just have you know Taron Armstead versus Whitney Merciless, and that's not a match of Merciless going to win at all whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I don't think they're going to be able to get any pass rush really at all this game. I'm not expecting you know, much at all. I really think like the only chance they have is if. Maybe they, like they knock some passes up in the air at the defensive line that leads to some turnovers just among those lines. But really, I think the Saints are able to move the ball uh, however they want through the air in this one. Yeah, I think that we're going to see. I even said it in my uh, my preview. I, if they drop six hundred yards on us, I'm sorry, I would not be shocked. I think they <laughs> are going to be able to do that much damage to that to the team. I don't think I've even seen six hundred yards in a game before. I have to go back I, I, and look that's it how. Up. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's going to be ugly. I mean, it's going to be. I think they're just going to move the ball at will. We don't have the ability to stop them. We're not going to be able to get to the quarterback. We're not going to be able to uh, stop them through the air with the defensive backs. Yeah. So I have a concern that Breeze is going to fall off this year. Um, so last year in weeks one through twelve, he had completion percentage of seventy six point five percent. He threw twenty nine touchdowns to two interceptions. He took only ten sacks. He had a net yards per attempt of eight point eight yards. From the Dallas game on, those numbers dropped to 68.7 completion percentage, three touchdowns, three interceptions, seven sacks, 6.4 yards in attempt. In the NFC Championship game, his arm didn't look very good at all. He threw one pass over 15 yards to Ted Ginn. In his pass where Ted Ginn had to like come back 10 yards to make that catch and jump over the cornerback to make that play. He's turned 40 years old this year too. So I think this is the year that Breeze finally falls off. But for this game, it's week one. His arm is going to be strong. He's had the summer off. Uh, I know last year was also the li- the least amount of pass attempts Drew Brees has had in his career since like 2006 in San Diego. He only attempted 424 passes, so they're already trying to limit his workload. And so, like, I don't, I, I think Brees is going to fall off during this year, probably around like maybe week five or six. But Houston's catching him week one. Uh, do you see Brees falling off this year? And are you do you have any concerns about him like not being spectacular in this game against Houston week one? Yeah, I, I openly talked about it with friends when I was watching when also watching the Saints game with uh, friends last year. Is that his arm looked dead? But is that like Peyton Manning dead, where he just had no more arm strength left at the end of his career, or is that he was just struggling with arm strength at the end of the season? And so I think that saying week five, I think that's going to be a key week. If we start seeing that weakness in his arm around week five, that he might be done. Because he did look terrible. He had no velocity on his throws last year. And he's never been a high-velocity kind of thrower anyway. But what he has always been is consistent with his speed and with his accuracy. And he mm-hmm. lacked both of those things. I mean, we're talking about the most accurate quarterback in NFL history. And he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn in the playoffs last year. Yeah, like their offense is definitely like in a closet where it was just like only routes like less than 10 yards on the field. It was a lot of swing routes that became really predictable. Uh, and their passing attack was bad towards the end of the year last year. So, yeah, I, I, ex- I expect Breeze to be good in this game. I think his arm is going to be good in this game. I think Houston's playing New Orleans at a bad time uh, because it's going to be Breeze and very healthy and strong and, vig- and vibrant and vigorous. But then four weeks from now, that may be a little bit different too. So whenever the, the Saints do throw the ball, they, prim- they primarily throw the ball to Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas. Uh, both of them had more than 100 targets last year. The rest of their pass catchers had like, you know, 40, 30, 20 or so. And it was diversified around like 12 different receivers from there. So Alvin Kamara, he'll line up wide. He'll line up in the slot. He'll run deep scenes from the backfield. He'll run fades. He'll run curl routes. uh, He'll run screens. He'll do just about anything in their passing attack. How do you think Houston's going to cover him? Are they going to bring Justin Reed in the box and have him cover him? Are they going to have Tayshaun Gibson cover him? Or is Gibson going to primarily cover Jared Cook, do you think Houston's even going to play much man coverage? Uh, what do you think they're going to do against Kamara in this one? 
shoot, sorry, the dogs are driving me crazy. It's all good. Uh, I've thought about this question quite a bit over the week because I, I just don't know what the heck we're going to do to to stop them. When you just start talking about Cook and um, and Kamara alone, I don't think you can leave Kamara. You can let Zach Cunningham try to cover him. I de- that's just not going to happen. I don't think you can allow Cunningham either really to cover Cook, even though it's a better matchup. But then you're talking about that's more of a man covers kind of thing. Are you going to swing those two, two players around to create those specific coverages? Because I can tell you what Drew Brees is going to do. If Drew Brees sees man, he's going to just look at Mike Thomas and go, hey, let's do this. So I, I don't know. I don't see a happy ending for how we match up against those guys. We're going to have to stay zone because we're going to have to we have to keep the lid um, on the Saints because otherwise they're going to they're going to blow right by our uh, slower cornerbacks. I mean, mm-hmm. Ted Ginn, Thomas, I, I don't see where there's a there is a good matchup as far as these go. They're going to have to do the bend but not break kind of thing, but they were going to get killed on underneath passes and we're going to give up chunks of yards. Yeah. I, and Cornell loves to play that, you know, play eight yards off of them sort of defense, you know, or he'll give up curls, he'll give up curls, he'll give up you know, quick slants and that sort of thing and give up, you know, seven yards to the air and then try to hopefully, you know, turn that into enough third down stops or whatever to have a competent defense or like JJ Watt does something, you know, insane to make up for that too. Um, the Texans were, I, I have no idea how they're going to cover Kamara. Like, I've been thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I just don't really see it. Like, unless you're going to play complete man coverage, which you can't do because you have Michael Thomas and Ted Ginn, and you have to have at least, you know, one safety deep. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it. But the Texans finished first in run defense DVOA last year. They're the best run defense in football. Do you think they're going to be able to stop Kamara and Latavius Murray in this rushing attack? And also, just for like an end of the year prediction, too, where do you think Houston finishes in run defense DVOA without Clowney on this roster? I think we're going to actually finish out pretty well. I'm starting with that one first. I think we'll finish out pretty well because if, if there is a second guy that maybe you want that's going to come in and play behind Clowney, it's with the merciless as far as setting the edge. He is very, very good at playing uh, against the run. That said, you know, Clowney's the best and it's still like going, you're, you've gone from eating like this, um, like this fantastic gourmet hamburger to eating McDonald's, right? It's still hamburger. Sure. But it's not the same thing. So I, I just don't see where, you know, how that's going to play out. The other thing is, is we're playing against teams that can actually pass the ball. So last year we had the luxury of playing the Josh Allens of the world. And yes, I picked them specifically for you. I that love we, so we much. had. <laughs> no, I know. I can. You, the tattoo it looks really nice on you, by the way. <laughs> uh, that you know, we played Josh Allen. We knew guys weren't going to pass against us, so we were stacking the box. You know, Tyrone Matthew was kind of doing his freewheeling thing and coming up and being the eighth guy in the box pretty often. So we can't do that this year because we're going to play a bunch of teams that can throw the ball. So, And the biggest thing for me is just normal regression to the mean, right? We had the eighth best DVOA against uh, uh, pass – I mean uh, rush defense – DV. goodness gracious. Eighth best uh, defensive rush DVOA since 1986, mm-hmm. right? We're like 2,000 Ravens good last year against the run. That just doesn't happen year in, year out because things change and so losing clowny look we're not going to be we may not be first we're not going to be historic i think we're still going to be top five to seven but there's going to be some fall off there yeah but who cares teams are going to kill us in the air we're going to be 55th in dvoa against the pass (laughs) yeah i think the difference between like merciless and clowny is merciless is competent like he'll attack the outside shoulder he'll sit he'll like he will set the edge but he's not gonna you know, swim over the tight end, hit the puller into the running back, and then, or even like knock the puller down and then chase the running back from behind, and get a seven yard loss. <laughs> like, Merciless isn't going to do that, but Clowney does that. Clowney creates some negative plays. And like, I know like Watt had, I think, four more tackles for a loss than Clowney did. Uh, but I think Clowney's just such a like, he's such a grenade where he just detonates negative plays and clears things out for other guys a lot more than Watt does. Or Watt's like, it's a quick swim, he finds the ball carrier. Clowney just completely obliterates the entire interior of the defense, and I'm going to miss him so much. But, uh, you know, Cunningham's still a good run defender. McKinney's still good. Their defensive linemen are all good run defenders, but they can't rush the passer. So, yeah, like, I still think this is probably be a top 10 run defense, but like you said, it really doesn't matter. And I think they'll do a good job at containing Kamara. As long as Kamara doesn't get, as long as he doesn't get, like, into the open field and they limit the number of tackle attempts that he has against cornerbacks and the safeties, uh, they should be okay, which I think they'll be able to do in this one. Yeah, the, the guy who actually scares me the most that's not 
and, and it's Kamara is by far the one who scares me the most, even over Thomas. But it's Traquan Smith because he's now he's coming into um, his second year. Yeah, second year. And so, and he was just such a developmental guy, but he played some really good ball at times last year. To me, he's terrifying. I mean, he he's just he's a he's got a kind of a body that you just can't cover. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, go to, talking about Michael Thomas now, he lines up he lined up in the slot in fifty nine percent of his targets last year. Houston had DVOA of twenty five point nine percent against slot receivers, which is twenty eighth in football. Uh, so whenever Thomas lines up the slot, which they love to do, they love to run slam routes with him, and especially for Breeze with you know his arm strength issues, it's a lot easier to throw the ball to the center of the field and out to the sideline. And so, do you think they're just going to leave Aaron Colvin out there one versus one versus Thomas, or are they going to run like a lot of cover two to try stop him, or do you think they're going to just keep Bradley Roby on him for the entire game? What do you do about that? This is this is why we can't match up well against Kamara and Cook is because we have to have at least a safety back, and really we need two safeties back because when you look at the way that uh, Smith and and Thomas and Cook are going to exploit exploit the middle of the field. We cannot afford to let our cornerbacks try to cover that much that much distance. And the big thing that we haven't talked about is is while our defensive back situation is going to be better, the best center fielder that we had retired. Yeah, Andre Howe. So we no longer have the guy who had the most range. Reed's got great range. Gibson's got great range. Andre Howe was on godly range. You can't trust those those two guys to play halves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think Houston's got to only play one safety deep and just make Drew Brees be in with the deep ball because it was something that he struggled with last year. Uh, and that's what I would, I mean, like if I was Romeo Cornell, I would try to play even maybe some zero safety looks, play one safety looks and try to do what you can do to take away the shorter part of the throws and then just say like, yeah, if like Brees, I guess hits on two or three deep throws, that's fine. But that's what, that's the, I guess the trade-off that we're going to have to live, live off of because I really don't see there's any way they can cover Thomas with one person uh, cover Kamar with one person. And like, I think Tayshawn Gibson can do a good enough job against Jared Cook. But uh, those two matchups are too important. I don't see like a good way that they can do it without their multiple bodies. And if you don't throw multiple bo- and if you throw multiple bodies, then you have one safety back there or zero safeties. And I think that's really the only shot they have to be able to cover New, or- New Orleans in this game. The thing is, is Romeo's not the gambling type. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. So, I'm not. That, I'm not expecting them to, but I think this is the only shot that they have. And usually, whenever we talk about Texans football, uh, the best thing that you think is going to happen and thing that they do are uh, usually the two opposite things. Right. <laughs> Consistently. Uh, so, whenever New Orleans has the ball, is there anything else that you want to add that you're looking for in this one? I just like watching Taysom Hill. I, I just do. He's just fun. That's it. Yeah, it's. I like him mainly because he's like 29 years old. And uh, I'm also excited for like sideline shots of Teddy Bridgewater, even though he's a coward for not going to Miami and starting this year. And uh, I'm still upset about that. Yeah, but who wants to play for that team? Just, I mean, generally speaking, who the heck wants to play for that team? It's Ugh. fine. I just want to see him try to start, though. Yeah. So I just like, yeah, I'll just back up again for another year. And then you turn to Chase Daniel. I mean, you can make a bunch of money doing that, but it's it sucks, though. I want to okay, see it happen. What was that dude's name? Uh, McCown, Rivers' big brother. God, I can't think of his first name. Josh. But he, yeah, Josh McCown. He was like with their backup quarterback there for eight years mm-hmm. and never made played. all the money and yeah. never played. <laughs> and now he's in Philadelphia as their third string quarterback too. Same sort of thing. Yeah, but he, yeah, it's a nice life being a backup quarterback. So I'm glad Teddy's living a very nice, lucrative life. But I do want to see him start somewhere again in one year. Yeah. So, offensively, the Texans did trade for Larry Tunsil, but the rest of the offensive line composed of Titus Howard. Like, there's four other spots in the offensive line. And I did, one of the arguments that I've heard about the Texans trading for Tunsil is like the Andrew Luck thing. So, you have to invest in your offensive line. Look at what happened to Andrew Luck. Well, Andrew Luck had Anthony Costanzo for the entire time he was there. Costanzo's not as good as Tunsil is, but he's a completely competent left tackle. The other four spots are what killed Andrew Luck. It was guys like... Joe Reed and Joe or Joe Reitz and Joe Haig and Samson Satelli and Jonathan Good and Gosser Cherilis. That's what killed Andrew Luck. It wasn't their left tackle. So the Texans trade for Tunsil. They give up two first round picks and second round pick, which also like it makes the client trade even worse because like okay, you're a win now trade. You're a win now team. You're trading all this draft capital for Tunsil, but you just traded one of your best defenders and one of the best defenders in the league, uh, which would help you win games for this year. Two at the same time. But the rest of the offensive line is Tyus Howard, left guard, Nick Martin, center, Zach Fulton, right guard, and Sontrell Henderson, right tackle. 
Um, do you think this offensive line is going to be acceptable with Laramie Tunsil inserted at left tackle? Hail to the no. Uh, this, I mean, great. Okay, granted, cr- quite an upgrade at left tackle. Uh, you know, Tunsil's a heck of a guy to watch. He's extremely talented. Um, when he came out, I, I gushed about his feet. And that makes me sound like Rex Ryan, so I feel a little bit dirty. Um, so, but, you know, the guy's got great feet. He's he's a big guy. He's He is a true franchise left tackle. I like that we have him on the team. It's better than not. Um, that said, we gave up a ton for him. And like you said, the rest of the line, except for every other position on the offensive line, except for wherever Zach Fulton plays, is going to be trouble. And there's just no other nice way to put it. And a lot of that's because of what I talked about earlier, this kind of – Yahtzee strategy of where we're going to play our offensive linemen week to week. The fact that Sandrell Henderson's out there, he did not look good. You drafted Titus Howard to be your left tackle of the future. You used a first round pick on him. You've already kicked him in the left guard. Max Sharping, you've drafted him to be a right tackle. He's already not a right tackle, so he's moving into guard too. Look, you, these weren't elite guard prospects coming out of college either. You know, it's not like, oh, well, Titus Howard, he's like the best guard we've seen in 10 years. Yeah. No. So they weren't even good guard prospects. So you've you've made a lot of mistakes with your roster management, and it's going to show up on this offensive line because they are going to have a very difficult time, aside from if Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, and I think the, the Tunsil trade does prove, too, that Bill O'Brien thought he could start Matt Khalil left tackle. And then, oh, yeah. and then preseason happens, like, oh, I can't start Matt Khalil left tackle. And then he kind of realized, okay, Ty's Howard can't play left tackle. And then he was completely perplexed by this, thrown completely off by it. And then they kind of like try to make Julian Davenport happen. Like just, okay, now try like scramble, try to make that happen. And that wasn't going to happen after like him not playing, you know, first team reps, singing the reps and all that. And maybe never, maybe never will happen, but I am excited to see Davenport play in Miami. Um, and then it leads to this time slow trade happening, which they gave up an absurd amount of draft capital for. And like, oh, I'm already ready for it in like two years when Deshaun Watts makes $35 million. And people are like, well, it's really hard to build a team whenever you pay your quarterback that much money. Right, so yeah, that's right. when you have to have first-round draft picks and second-round draft picks that you hit on to build a cost-effective roster around a quarterback that gets paid that much money. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think the offense line is going to be bad again this year. Like Martin can't run block at all. Fulton's acceptable. Santrell Henderson's never been good in his career. He has been healthy since 2014. Like He's really big, and he moves well, but he's one, he has one of the weakest ever bodies you'll ever see. He doesn't extinguish a pass rush at all which is really important when your quarterback is Deshaun Watson, who holds onto the ball for a long time and likes to scramble and make plays happen. And Ty Sauer, like, I've see, I didn't like what I see very much from him in the preseason. I didn't think he had any feel at all for the run game. I think his hands are bad, which is the pretty much like killer whenever you're a guard in pass protection, is you have to be able to limit space, strike, and stonewall immediately. And just like his hands are all over the place. So, yeah, I think this offensive line is still going to be bad, even with Tunsil. And I don't think it really greatly improves the Texans to win or make playoff make the playoffs, you know, this year, um, just by adding him to it too. No, not at all. And we really hit the reset button. We've talked about it repeatedly on the show. One of the most important things about your offensive line is continuity from year to year. And once again, we have a brand new offensive line. It's going to take them eight games to start getting used to each other. And we saw it happen in 2018, right? First eight games, they were terrible. They were also playing guys out of position where they played later in the season and played better to have important at left tackle. Mm-hmm. It takes offensive lines time to gel. And once again, we pissed that right off the window <laughs> because we had absolutely no strategy from Brian Gain. From, and then the Ryan Khalil, Ryan Khalil to me, there was no doubt in my mind he was Bill O'Brien's guy. Like yeah. he's that proven veteran left tackle. That was Bill O'Brien's guy. So, you know, they made so many poor decisions this offseason, and we paid for it out the nose by getting Tunsil and then turning around and then trading Clowney in that morning. Oh, my gosh, that was so stupid. There is no strategy. This team has no strategy. <laughs> if it wasn't for the Raiders, we would be the laughingstock of the NFL. Uh, yeah, there's always, like, something else to come up. I think even the Raiders are more well, more, uh, well run than Houston is. Houston just has better top-end talent. But yeah, I don't think they even trade outside the, out of the nose for Tunsil. I think they like sold their entire civilization for Tunsil. Like they made him like a great deity, like immediately. Uh, it'd be like if like Egypt, like Osiris, you know, completely fell from the skies. Like, well, we need to add another god to replace him, and now we have a uh, Tunsil here. But and then for this game, they're going up against Cameron Jordan, who's one of the best pass rushers in football. So, do you think Jordan's going to line up primarily against Sancho Henderson on the right side? And uh, how do you think that matchup's going to go if it does? 
I, they use Jan, uh, Cameron Jordan a lot like J.J. Watt is used by the Texans, but Jordan has a tendency to stay more on the uh, interior of the defensive line sometimes. Uh, I, I just think that. I think that Watt's been kind of pushing himself out over the years, I, whereas Jordan is more willing to stay inside. He is a he's just a freaking nightmare. I can see him lining up over either guard, over Martin, uh, over Henderson, any of these guys. They're going to keep him far away from Tunsil. And they're just going to let him rip it and go loose. It's that's going to be a complete matchup. Jordan's going to spend more time in our backfield than Carlos Hyde. Yeah, well, and Jordan, they like to use him. They line up on the interior and they like to run stunts off him a lot. He's really good at looping. He's really good at creating for others. And another big thing too for New Orleans is that uh, Marcus Davenport's in his second year this year. I would expect you'll see him against Tunsil a good amount. And then also Sheldon Rankins is gonna be back. He was he like he finally broke out after being a first round pick. He was having an awesome season last year until he tore his Achilles. So it'll be interesting how he plays. But I think at minimum he'll be a very good run defender in this one too. But yeah, I'm expecting you know Jordan maybe have two sacks this game. Uh, and I I think they'll try to do everything they can just to move him away from Tunsil. And even talking about Tunsil too, like you're talking about a guy they traded and is having to learn the playbook and the pass protections in one week has no feel in the run game for Tyus Howard really at all yet. And, uh, and like, I mean, that trade was such a completely, like, it's such a panic trade, too. Because if this is what your plan was, you probably could have made that same trade four weeks ago. And they got him integrated in the offense and knew what you were going to do and that sort of thing. And Miami was really just able to bend Houston over again than they wanted to from him for it. So they also, on their interior, they have Malcolm Brown. They have Sylvester Williams, too, that they had this year. These are two guys who are good at stopping the run. Um, and Houston does love to run the ball a lot. Do you think they're going to try to run the ball a lot in this one? And the Saints finished third in defensive DVOA last year too. So, are you expecting? What are you expecting from the run game from Houston this one? Like, are you think you think this is going to be like a, a great breaking out experience for uh, Carlos Hyde and and Duke Johnson, or is this going to be like you know three point five yards to carry, three point zero yards to carry? Uh, what are you expecting this one from those two? Let's just be upfront about it that Carlos Hyde is Alfred Blue two uh, you know, they're both terrible. They were both two of the three worst running backs in the NFL last year. And the only other guy you can add to that conversation is Alfred Morris. Um, and, and Alfred Morris doesn't have a job. So it, it's, I, I totally see that's going to be Bill O'Brien who has said very explicitly, he's going to be in charge of the play calling for this game as the offensive coordinator. So we're going to see a lot of Carlos Hyde running up against uh, Martin's back and Fulton's back and Henderson's back and not going anywhere because they're the Saints defensive line is so much better than our offensive line. We're not going to do Jack. I, I mean, I will be kind of shocked if we get more than two and a half yards to carry out of this game because we're not going to go anywhere against that defensive line and their linebackers. Well, not great. They do Kiki um, Alonzo. He's still good against the run. He can't do anything against the pass anymore. Demario Davis is solid against the run. They're going to kill us. I mean, and they get great run support from their secondary Von Bell, Marshawn Lattimore. This is a team that goes out and gets it. Yeah, I really like Demario Davis. I think he's super underrated. Uh, he's also a really good blitzer as well too. I I can't stand Kiko Alonso and like his little jersey that he wears. Yes, and yes. <laughs> I, it makes me sick. It's pornographic. Like it shouldn't be allowed. And I think the only reason why he does that is because it makes it harder to, to probably grab his jersey whenever he gets blocked and hold him. Yeah. But yeah, it should be illegal though. Like it's it's disgusting that whenever he wears the thing out there. And also AJ Klein's a pretty good pass defender. Uh, he's a fine run defender. Alex Anzalone, who's like straight from a soprano set, he's pretty good too. So their linebacking group here is uh, is good. Yeah, like I'm expecting for Houston to have maybe like three yards of carry. But like the the que- the big question here for the Texans this game is how often they run the ball. Are they going to do what they always do, which is run on first down, uh, throw on second down, run on third down, or run run pass and just like be super run heavy? Or do you think Bill Bryan has kind of spent the summer understanding that, hey, like, I'm going to have to score a lot of points this year. Deshaun Watson, we're going to have to let him lose. We have Kenny Stills now, too. We have Fuller Healthy. We have um, we have QD in the slot if he even plays this game. But DeAndre Carter is still very good, too. Like, what are you expecting from this Texans team? Like, do you think they finally came to this realization this summer that they need to score a lot of points this year? No, I think it's going to be just like back in the Earl Campbell days. It's going to be... Instead of Earl to the right, Earl at the middle, Earl to the left punt, it's going to be high to the right, high to the left, you know, pressure, dump, dump uh, incomplete pass, <laughs> dump off to Duke Johnson for three yards, yards and punt kind of thing. That's that's what I see the offense as being. I don't think Bob's learned a thing. I, I, I don't think there's any track record that shows us he's learned 
what he's doing has a has an offensive coordinator in the NFL. If the, my greatest hope is that every game turns into the Eagles game from last year, where we fell behind mm-hmm. and he had to let Watson's peacock fly. And well, look what Watson did. I mean, that's who Deshaun Watson is. You have to let him. You have to let Deshaun Deshaun. And Bill O'Brien keeps thinking, no, I've got Tom Brady. Yeah. Well, and even like the Jets game last year it was the same thing too. The Colts game last year the same thing too. Like. As soon as Houston goes down, they actually have a good offense, and Bill O'Brien actually starts throwing the ball, and it works out pretty well. Um, those five weeks, you know, Deshaun Watson's rookie career, or I guess those four weeks whenever they played Seattle and they played New England and Kansas City, like he did a lot of really inter- interesting things in those games too to be able to take advantage of Watson. And Watson did have a great game against Miami. And so there's been instances where they actually throw the ball a lot and they have a really successful offense. It's just whenever Bill O'Brien realizes and actually goes for it and tries to do it, I think part of the thing last year with him was he was trying to limit how often Watson was hurt and that sort of thing, and uh, and he won games the way he typically does, which hurt the team in the long run, as you kind of saw with the Indianapolis game they lost, where they need to score a bunch, and they weren't able to do that at all against a better pass defense. So, I don't know. Like, I, I think they will. I hope they will. Their only shot if for them winning this game is if they start throwing the ball in first down. Like, if they come out just, like, running on every first down, I'm, I'm so done. But also, it's be interesting to see what happens, too, if they go down 7-0, how he adjusts it. Or if they go down 10, 10 points, how he adjusts. And just like if he's still going to keep coaching with that that trend where he's an entirely different play caller whenever the game's tied or with the lead than whenever they fall behind, too. Yeah, because that has to be the strategy all season. If he comes out like, and, and again, we go back to what we hear, the Texans PR spin on everything, right? Is the the um, second preseason game where uh, Deshaun Watson came out and just was doing nothing but throwing the ball almost out of you know exclusively empty sets? That offense looked incredible. I mean, it looked wonderful. Um, if that's and if but if that was supposedly that was Kelly doing the uh, play calling during that scheme. So we saw in the third preseason game where it was back to Bill O'Brien calling it and was back to the same old trash. And then Lamar and Miller gets hurt. Deshaun Watson almost gets killed, so they pull him. So it's it's I I don't I wish I had a reason to be optimistic, but I don't I can't see Bob changing his stripes because he hasn't in five years going into a six year of just complete and total offensive coordinator mediocrity. Yeah, well, and I think also too like the service level. Like I love this passing offense. So you don't think about the offensive line. You have a top two wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. Depends on how how you feel about between him and Julio Jones. You have a great deep throw in Will Fuller, and like Fuller is actually like a really good all-around receiver now because of the cushions that he gets. He's the way he's able to eat them up and stop, and uh, and like everything else he's able to do too. Kenny Stills is pretty much like he's a one-trick guy. He's a deep threat only. Uh, their pass-catching tight ends are you know competent this year. Duke Johnson offers like a good safety switch whenever it's second and seven and there's pressure. You can dump up to him because unlike Alfred Blue, Duke Johnson can actually make a guy miss and pick up yards afterwards. And he can get those first downs in those third and six situations that Alfred Blue has tackled three yards short of the sticks on four. So like I love like the, the way everything looks. Like in my head, I can see it being great. Um, you know, on paper, it looks great. But whenever they actually start playing, they actually start calling games and you have to add the offensive line to it. And now that becomes another aspect of it. And then you get to add the entire history of Bill O'Brien coaching this offense. That's an entirely different thing. So like, I'm excited to watch this offense play. I think it could be really good, but I don't think it's going to be really good if that makes sense. No, and that's the problem is you're entirely right. You, you know, just the mere addition by subtraction of Blue and Ryan Griffin is huge. I mean, we don't have two guys who can't get more than two yards after they catch the ball anymore. Um, any one of the tight ends that we had on the roster last year are far superior than Griffin as far as, you know, at least catching the ball or blocking or mm-hmm. being a decent NFL football player. And then Duke Johnson for Alfred Blue is a pretty huge trade-off too. So if, if they are used correctly, this is a team This is the team that should score a lot of points. Even with a, a terrible offensive line, move Watson out of the pocket. You know, move the pocket for him. Get him out. Get guys out in space for him. Get quick hitters for him. Get the ball out of his hands. I mean, there are strategies that you can use. The problem is, is that the Elmer Perkins glue, I like making fun of the name, offense that Bill O'Brien likes to, to call that he sticks to that he comes from you know the Brady background with is a lot of reads and you can't do that let Watson just throw the ball instead of making him go through progressions too much and where he had where he's going to sit in the pocket and he's going to take more hits mm-hmm. there are ways you can protect Watson it's just that 
Bill O'Brien coached Tom Brady, and this is how he had the most successful offense in his entire career, and nothing can deviate from that plan. Yeah. Oh, it drives me crazy. Well, except for like those five weeks where like there's right. a lot of jet sweeps and deep passing and the jet this Eagles game and also like I think using Watson as a runner is something that they should do more of. Like we talked about all last year too, where uh, just like yeah, run options with him, run some zone reads with him. They it worked really well against Jackson week seventeen in that must win game that they had. And it's so, like those opportunities are there available. Uh it's just if they actually how they go back and exploit and how they actually uh, go about using them too. So the, the the other component here is the Saints' pass defense last year was bad over the course of the year. They had DVA 10.6%, 22nd. But in 2017, they had DVA of 11.3%, which is 5th. And their DVA against number 1 wide receivers was 17.7%. Against number 2 wide receivers, it was 28.4%. And Marshall Ladmir kind of had a bad year last year. Uh, the biggest thing they did was they dropped P.J. Williams that was starting lineup, who was absolutely just like wretched. Like he was in the same company as maybe like Sharice Wright, and they trade for Eli Apple. And after they trade for Eli Apple, their past defense DVA bumped up to negative six point two percent, which was uh, an entirely different, you know, like an entirely different like set of performance there. So, do you think the Saints' past defense is going to bounce back this year? Because it was very good in two thousand seventeen. You think last year was kind of like a weird year for Lattimore? Uh, PJ Williams had kind of a bad year as well too for him. Or do you think that's going to be kind of the norm and the Texans have like a really bad pass defense that they can attack and kind of figure out how they have to play games with against? No, I think they're going to be much improved. That trade for Eli, Eli Apple was was clutch because Apple is so miserable in New York. And so getting him out of there, I think, helped him tremendously. And But Lattimore battled injuries all, all season last year. And mm-hmm. I think he's such he is a he is a very legit number one shutdown corner when he's healthy. And so he's just in his third year. Um, out of Ohio State, where he played great ball, I, I think he's he's going to get back to that level. I think you're going to see a much improved Saints def, um, uh, uh, def, uh, pass defense than you did. Von Bell is kind of a weak point back there. He's not great in coverage. That's a guy that you can go after and exploit. Uh, I can, uh, Marcus Williams, he's he's their other starter safety, if I remember correctly. Uh, he's another guy that you can go after. I think if you just don't attack the perimeter, you go down the middle on them, you're going to have more luck. Yeah, and, and you know, even him, like he had even Williams, like he had a really great rookie year. He's of course the guy who missed the tackle against Minnesota in the NFC title game. And last year he wasn't that great, but like I mean, he's was even he, we're still like one year off of him having a really great rookie year. So I don't know, like I'm expecting their past defense to bounce back. I'm expecting it to be at least mediocre this season. And uh, I don't think it's going to be like as bad as it was last year. I think that was kind of a bad range of circumstances. And again, like you mentioned, like the Eli Apple trade and going from a PJ Williams to him was you know monumental for this past defense too. So yeah, I think it's going to be it's it's going to be tough to throw against them, but not impossible. Like Marshall Lattimore versus DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a lot of fun. And like you were saying too, like running some deep passes with still some with Fuller down the middle of the field. I think it's their best opportunity to have some quick strikes and get some points quickly and immediately and be able to kind of keep up with the Saints in a game where they're going to have to do that too. Yeah, uh, and one thing I want to add is is the other thing about this um, Saints defensive secondary is that they're all young as heck. Yeah. I mean, I think Apple's like 26, and he's the ancient one of the group. Uh, these other guys are all like 23, 24 years old. They all have upside. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're running Jonathan Joseph out there. Yeah, and Ken Crawley too is is a is a penable cornerback, and he was hurt for a lot last year. Whenever he got healthy, uh, he played pretty well too. But yeah, I think that's a great point to mention about Lattimore, and also about Williams. So this is their third year in the league, and they're twenty four years old. And usually, that's never you expect for defensive backs to be good in the NFL as their third year. And now that they're there, I think last year was kind of down years for both those guys who have pedigree and have already had success at the professional level. Yep. So. All right, the Texans scored 402 points last year. The Saints scored 504. Do you think that they can keep up and score enough points to the Saints? And what's your prediction for this game? I mean, the answer is yes. I think theoretically they could keep up and score enough points to keep up with the Saints. I think they have enough firepower to do it. The answer is, though, is no. I don't trust Bill O'Brien any farther than I can throw him, and he's a pretty big dude. And I just I, I can't see Bill O'Brien coming out and changing his stripes and all of a sudden saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to let Deshaun Watson throw the ball 45 times. And I see him saying, I got to establish the run. That's how I'm going to win is establish the run with Carlos Hyde is what I see him saying. <laughs> so I think we fall behind. I think we fall behind by 14, 17 points pretty quickly. 
And what we see then is a kind of a repeat of what we saw in the Colts game, uh, playoff game last year, where he just never really gets a sense of urgency that, hey, maybe I need to start putting some points on the board. He did it with the Eagles, but he didn't do it in the Colts game, I didn't feel like. So I, I see kind of the same thing playing out. He's so risk averse. He is so afraid to make mistakes that I think he would rather lose than take chances. Yeah. So I, I have Houston losing 38-27. And they go behind early. I think they score a bunch of points, kind of like in the third quarter, make it interesting. And the Saints kind of put them away in the fourth quarter. And I just, I I think it's, and I think all these games are going to be like this too, where you're like, yeah, I just don't really like the matchups for them defensively, um, especially in their pass rush. And like whenever they play teams like Tennessee and Jacksonville and Denver, like those are the teams where they'll have a better chance to get and those are the games that they'll have to win. They have any chance on making the playoffs, uh, but yeah, I just I don't see it all for this game. I think it's gonna be bad, and uh, I'm excited for it. It's gonna be interesting to see how, what happens and how they look coming out, and how Deshaun Watson looks, and how if this offense seems even exciting at all. Uh, but I think it's gonna be like a lot of empty points in the second half after they go down big early. So yeah, I'm picking Houston to lose 38-27, and I've got the Saints 45 to 26. And yes, that is four field goals to two touchdowns. <laughs> and 500 yards of offense for the, or 600 yards of offense for the Saints too. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, is I, you know, you listening to you talk about Carlos Hyde too. Like I'm afraid I'm going to hate him as much as I hate Alfred Blue all those years before, which I hope doesn't happen. Like I hope like Hyde can be okay as like a second back, but I am excited to see Duke Johnson as like a number one back in offense. And I think he's very helpful in the passing game. Yeah, no, Carl, Carlos Hyde uh, has had one decent season his entire career. This is his sixth year, I believe. He's, he's also had 20, one he's 28, too, which is which I didn't know. I was like, man, they grew up so fast. Yeah, and he's got a ton of miles on his body now. He, uh, My expectations of him are, are literally nothing. My expectations are three yards carry. Yeah. Uh, so is there anything else you're looking for in this game? I know, I know this is our preview show for it, and then we'll probably try to do a review show immediately, either Tuesday or maybe even after the game, Monday night. And then uh, we'll start doing previews and game reviews like we typically do throughout the season. Uh, as far as this game goes, it's always I'm always interested to see what Bill O'Brien's going to do if he's changed. And I, I've been hoping for this ever since his third season. Is he going to finally let the offense loose? He's going to finally, you know, do the things that are done in a more modern, you know, 2019 NFL offense. And I just don't know how you can watch other teams and say wow, Bill O'Brien is a great head coach. When you look at our offense and you look at the skill players that we have, you think, man, we're just dry humping our way up and down the field at three and a half yards of carry from our running backs and we're throwing the ball to Ryan Griffin. Mm -hmm. So this team could put up serious numbers if it wanted to. So, And I hope at some point it wants to. Yeah, yeah, I think they could definitely score 26 points a game or so um, if it happens. So yeah, like, I don't know. I think it's going to be, I think we better understand the Texans a lot after this first game. But yeah, I have them losing. Uh, but anyways, my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Ballard Radio. Thank you for being on side BFD. And we'll be back on pretty quickly this week whenever we talk about and review this game for Monday night. And uh, it should be fun. And good luck to everybody who's actually at the game too because New Orleans is an evil place where you drink Everclear at 1030 in the morning. And uh, and this full of witch <laughs> doctors and alligators and everybody there is just trying to take your money and get you as drunk as possible. And it's a, it's a, it's it's not a place I can actually go to at all ever again. It's heaven. <laughs>